Turn me on. There we go. If you would like to turn to 1 Corinthians 12, stroke 13, stroke 14, there's a chunk in that letter that I'll be dipping in and out of quite a lot. There'll be lots of verses coming your way shortly, but if you want to stay there, stay you having to flick around all over the Bible, I'll be referencing other parts of Scripture as well. Um, but that's where we'll be mostly uh, residing. Um, last week, Martin uh, Cigar from City Church, he launched our new series. We're in the middle now of a seven-part series, seven Sundays on the Holy Spirit, because he is a vital uh, part. He's a member of the Godhead, but he's also... Um, what he, who he is and what he does is such a core value of who we are as a church as well. And it's, it's always important. You can never make any assumptions. And probably, even on the gift of tongues, I'm probably preaching to the choir today, but you can never make any assumptions. And it's always good anyway to now and again just remind ourselves to be clear about what we hold dearly as a core value of, uh, as a church, as a biblical value. Um, so, like I say, seven weeks on Holy Spirit. I've been really looking forward to this series. Holy Spirit, he's the third person of the Godhead. All equally, one eternal God, but all three different persons with a different role. Um, Augustine of Hippo was a uh, North African bishop in the 300s, and he once said, you try to explain the Trinity, you'll lose your mind. But if you try to deny it, you'll lose your soul, because we are describing the one true living God through whom any salvation is remotely possible, through him and him alone, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, try and explain that, three persons, one God, your brain will melt. For me, that helps prove he's God. No one's going to come up with that. They, man would try and come up with something a bit more explainable. <laughs> for me, it helps, <laughs> helps settle the deal for me. This is the one true living God. And it's in the wonderful mystery of the Trinity that we find eternal hope and peace and purpose. In the Father, we find our protector, our guardian, our guide. And in the Son, Jesus himself, we find our champion. He's our warrior. He's our rescuer, our saviour. And in Holy Spirit, we find our counsellor, our helper. He's the very river of life who comes to dwell within us. That's exactly what Holy Spirit does. Someone else once said, Holy Spirit turns an organisation into an organism. Something living and breathing. That's what the church is, God's people. Alive and growing and multiplying. And that's just it. Holy Spirit breathes life spiritual life into us. Um, upon Jesus' return to his heavenly dwelling place after he'd come and done his earthly ministry, died for us, rose again, spent some time with his people, and then he ascended back to heaven. He sent Holy Spirit to dwell in us who believe in order that we have all we need for this life to thrive and to strengthen and to grow. We need Holy Spirit. I mean, put it this way. Jesus himself, while he was here on earth, he had Holy Spirit all along. He was conceived in the Spirit. He was simultaneously sustaining the universe by Holy Spirit. And yet he knew he required a further filling of Holy Spirit to enable his ministry. Before he began his thir- three years of ministry, he was baptized in the River Jordan, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him. And it's from there, in the book of Luke, you see the language change. It's from that moment onwards, it then says, uh, in the power of the Spirit, Jesus did this. And being led by the Spirit, Jesus went there. And full of the Holy Spirit, Jesus did that. The language changes. We need that as well. We need that as well. We can receive Holy Spirit at conversion, we do. And yet all that he has available to us can remain unrealized. Holy Spirit is not just for regeneration, for new birth. He's also for service. We've got a job to do. We're here to make disciples. 
can't do that on our own. And so we need regular, constant filling. And so even last week, Martin was talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not just a one-off. We're going to go, we did a Sunday on that, we've done it now. We need constant, ongoing, be being filled with the Spirit. And so even the question, baptism of the Holy Spirit, does that happen at conversion or later? The answer is yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. We've got to be really careful to not over overdefine words and phrases and get lost in the linguistics of it all. And what you talk it's variously described as being baptized in the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter one. It's also described in scripture as the Spirit coming upon people, also in Acts chapter one, in the same chapter. Um, it talks about um, being clothed with power, Luke chapter 24, and so on. We need him constantly, not a one-off, all the time. We need constantly being filled by the Holy Spirit for this family business of growing closer to God and helping others do the same. That's what we're here for, and we cannot do that on our own. Tim Suffield, he's a pastor in Birmingham, he says this, God in Christ, by his Spirit, clothes you, rests on you, strengthens you, renews you, sets you apart, makes you alive, unites with you in marital bliss, he lives in and with you, he sends you out, he partners with you, he supports you, he falls upon you, he pours upon you, he abides with you, he begets you, he births you, he fills you, he drowns you, he anoints you, he cleanses you, he causes you to drink, he seals you, he invades you, he appoints you, and he is a gift that you receive from the hand of Jesus. And that's just for starters. It's Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. And so what Holy Spirit does in that overwhelming work that I've just been listing, he does two notable things. Firstly, he brings character change first and foremost. He starts in here. Character change first and foremost. We're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit. At the end of the month, the kids are going to help us. We're going to have a, a trailblazers and cornerstone takeover at the end of the month looking at fruit of the Spirit. We're going to look at that then. But also, he, he gives character change first and foremost, but he also gives us gifts for the work ahead, which strengthen us and strengthen those around us. Now, there's a long list. We're going to be looking at that over the next few weeks. Some of these gifts, they are more obviously supernatural. Uh, ones like prophecy and tongues and healing, they're more obviously supernatural, aren't they? Others of them appear quite natural. Gifts like uh, hospitality, serving, acts of mercy, administration, and so on. Uh, but those are equally supernatural. You need to be careful of this. They are equally supernatural because it's God himself empowering you with those, those gifts too. He's empowering you to do those to a degree and a capacity beyond yourself. And he's doing it in a way that synchronizes with his grander purposes. Whatever, they, whatever the gifts are, they're all supernatural. So first and foremost, don't write yourself off because your gifts that you have seem to be less showy and less miraculous. They're not less miraculous. They're not less supernatural. They're all needed. They're all supernatural. And not everybody has all of them. We've all got a part to play. And they are gifts given by the great beyond supernatural God. And so today, I'm going to talk about the gift of tongues for the next 20, 25 minutes or so. Next week, uh, Mick's going to help us um, explore the gift of prophecy. And the following week, two weeks' time, Bob's going to help us explore the remaining gifts as well. Now, why specifically are we spending a whole Sunday on the gift of tongues? Well, lots of reasons, to be honest. 
partly because this gift is so easily dismissed um, or neglected. It's often described as, as it's weird, it's gobbledygook, all that kind of, it's just easily dismissed. We need to look at that. Um, but also because it is, it is one of the most invigorating ways that God has given us to revitalize our times of prayer. So it greases the wheels for breakthrough. It really does. I'll talk about that later. It brings an immediacy when we seek his presence and it lifts our heads and our hearts so swiftly when we do it. Um, I mean, you can be, hear me out, you can be a solid, mature Christian without it. But, boy, does it bring release and overflowing joy when we do have it and we practice it. And so we just need to look at this really carefully. So I'm going to look at it in three ways. Firstly, it is a misunderstood gift. So let's be careful. Let's look at what it is. Let's, let's be sure what we're talking about. So a misunderstood gift is also a controversial gift. Okay, I get that. So therefore, once we know what it is, how do we handle it well? And then thirdly, it's an invigorating gift. Let's, let's look at what it actually does. Okay? The misunderstood gift, the controversial gift, and it's an invigorating gift. First one. A misunderstood gift. Let's look at what it actually is. We need to define it carefully, don't we? In Matthew chapter 16, from verse 15, Jesus himself says, These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, and he continues to list other things as well. The sign of those who believe is that we will speak in new tongues. He said straight away that it was going to happen. Now, this can be a heavenly tongue, it can be an earthly tongue, dialect. Um, in 1 Corinthians 12, chapter, uh, verse 28, um, Paul talks about various kinds of tongues. Um, my my mum told me a story once um, about the church that I grew up in. They were there for many decades. And uh, not a charismatic church, not practicing the gifts, uh, just ran away from tongues and things like that. But she said in one of their prayer meetings, a lady um, started speaking in a language that she did not know. She prayed in this and in this dialect that was not naturally hers. And of course, you can imagine there, they were a bit like, uh, hello, what do we do with this? But another lady who was present was visiting. She'd been doing some mission work in Africa, and she said, that is a rare dialect localized to a few villages I've been working with. It was an earthly tongue that God had given this person to praise him beyond her own vocabulary. So sometimes it's an earthly tongue. Uh, also in Acts chapter um, 2, when Holy Spirit descends upon the, the church, birthing the church as we now know it at Pentecost, it says when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. God had given them other earthly tongues that were not their own, but others understood. He did it as a sign of God amongst them, not simply for the disciples' benefit, but for the benefit of those around them. And what that led to was to gospel declaration and salvation. That's an earthly tongue. But then also Paul talks about 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, he talks about the tongues of men and of angels. Sometimes it's a heavenly tongue as well. Either way, it's about our spirits supernaturally bypassing our own limited vocabulary in adoration, bringing praise to God with an even better choice of words that you could have even come up with on your own. That's what he's doing. 
He's enabling you to praise him to a greater degree beyond your human self. That's what it is. But also, we need to be clear, it is prayer. It is man to God. This is not prophetic, which is God, God to man. Uh, this is about bringing our praise to God. So, Paul, 1 Corinthians 14, first couple of verses, he says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. We'll look at that next week. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. So just help make this clear. Prophecy is God laying his heart bare verbally to man, through man. Prophecy is God laying his heart bare verbally to man. Tongues is just man laying his or her heart bare verbally to God. Prayer, but in another language. Something else worth pointing out? You do it, not Holy Spirit. It's not Holy Spirit speaking through you. You're praying. You're the one praying. You're speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit is he's loosening your tongue so it's unencumbered and it's released to extol your God without the limitations of your primary vocabulary. But you're the one who's doing the praising. Or to put it this way, God gives us, between us, gives us the gift of hospitality. If you have the gift of hospitality, you have to open your mouth and invite people. You have to do the cooking. You have to open your door. You have to do the hosting. You're doing it. He's giving you the gift, but you're doing it, right? And the same with the gift of prophecy. You have to be listening carefully. You have to be active in that. You have to be practicing his presence. You have to speak out when you hear. He's giving you the gift, but you're doing it. Does that make sense? And so it's the same here. The gift he gives you, you need to unwrap and you need to use it. You're doing the praying. He's just helping you do that. He's not doing it for you. And so in that, sometimes there can be some confusion. It's like, oh, I'll keep asking for the gift of tongues, but my mouth doesn't move and nothing's happening. That's because you're not moving your mouth and you're not making noises. There is a physicality to it as well. He's enabling you, he's unlocking the vocabulary, but you're opening your mouth, which can be weird. Our inhibitions and our self-awareness can get in the way of that. Well, I don't want to do that because I'm just going to be making weird noises. I get that, I've been there myself. Some people receive an immediate overflow when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they just start speaking in tongues. Some of you, that will be your story. But for some of you, for others, like me, um, I was held back by inhibitions and self-awareness. I'm not going to do this because I'm just making some noises and everybody will think I'm a bit weird. I'm not going to do that. And so my mouth, just physically, I couldn't bring my mouth to move. Nothing was happening. I hadn't fallen into the trap of thinking, well, Holy Spirit hasn't made my mouth move yet. But I was resistant to moving my mouth. But it's like baby's first words. Sometimes you, it's just because your mouth isn't used to it yet. So my story was similar to that. And it's like a toddler doesn't give up speaking, but they keep practicing until their speech becomes expansive and eloquent and second nature. Sometimes we have to just practice it. Practice it until it becomes so. Lock yourself away in your room and practice. Speak out and extol him. One more thing to point out on this that can be misunderstood. Not speaking in tongues is not an indicator of not being filled with the Holy Spirit. But it is a big one. Not speaking in tongues is not an indicator of not being filled with the Holy Spirit. But it is a big clue to it when it does happen. Um, Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, right at the end, um, verse 29, he says, Are all apostles? Are all prophets? 
Are all teachers, do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Indicating the answer to that is no, not all are. Then he continues, do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. So tongues doesn't appear to be for everyone, but we should all seek it. That's what Paul's saying. Still seek it nevertheless. That's a misunderstood gift. How about the controversy that surrounds it? It is a controversial gift. Because of its nature, the gift of tongues can and has caused much disagreement in modern, particularly modern times between the churches, but also throughout history. Um, most notably in recent times, particularly, at least we're discussing it in our context today, because of the Pentecostal movement that began in, in the USA about 120 years ago. Um, it's so-called the Pentecostal movement because it was a pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the church in America in, that then rippled across the world that resembled Pentecost, resembled Acts chapter 2. There was much in common with a fresh release of baptism in the Holy Spirit and therefore tongues being released and prophecy uh, during worship gatherings and in private and so on. And then there was a ripple effect throughout the decades since across the world. And we're on the receiving end of that as a church, as a church movement, aren't we? The period in church hist history that... Um, that we are on the receiving end, and other movements are as well, all these decades later. But between the church movements and denominations, there's still much disagreement, theological disagreement over it. So as a church, we, Beacon Church, obviously, we would, um, in all good conscience and conviction, we would, biblically, we would lean into encouraging it, which is why I'm preaching on this this morning, but with much due care and attention that we don't abuse it. That's where we have to be careful. Some churches are in danger of neglecting it, and they do. We, if anything, would be in danger of mishandling it, so we need to take care. But that, um, that means that, therefore, we aim to do it well rather than run away from it, which I think is a lot of reasons why a lot of churches do. Their answer is to not touch it then. So I think, well, we believe biblically we should touch it. Let's just do it really well. But yes, it is controversial because it is described in different ways or perceived in different ways, as being inappropriate, as being not for now, as being a bit weird, freaky, scary, described as gobbledygook. That's they're just talking gobbledygook. I've heard that said. Well, let's look at those. Let's find out. Um, in fact, it's um, described as being inappropriate and not for now, not for today. There is no indicator in Scripture that anything has changed and that tongues is no longer relevant. Any argument re regarding such and it, it wraps up prophecy and the same kind of arguments at the same time. It turns out to be illogical because that same argument trips up at the first hurdle. You look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8 onwards is what gets brought up, where Paul says, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So people look at that and go, well, the perfect has come, because they're saying the Bible, we have the Bible complete now. All 66 books, we have the canon and the Bible, the perfect is here, and therefore we don't need prophecy, and therefore we don't need tongues. But in that same argument, therefore, you're saying that knowledge we don't need anymore as well. Pretty sure we do. Does that make sense? And so what he's talking about, what Paul's saying, he's talking about when Jesus returns and reboots creation and he dwells with his people in an eternal place of peace and no sin and no death. That's the perfect. And then we won't need anything to supplement what is currently lacking. 
And so in the meantime, these gifts, they enable us to hear in a powerful, life-transforming way from the God who dwells beyond the natural. That's prophecy. We need that now, still. And it means we get to applaud him with our mouths in a way that is beyond the natural because he deserves more than we can currently give on our own. Gift of tongues. Then we won't need it. Right now, boy, do we. It's still a then and now. Now and not yet, isn't it? Tongues and prophecy are for the remainder of our days on earth. We just need to steward them well. But it is also described as a bit weird, a bit freaky, a bit scary. I've heard people say that. To be honest with you, yeah, it is weird. <laughs> it is weird. But then so are sudden appearances of gold teeth and shortened legs growing and money appearing in once empty cupboards for people in need, and visions of Jesus that lead to more than coincidental encounters and life change. All of that is pretty weird when you look at it through human eyes. But I, I, know, I know people who give these authentic accounts. These things happen. Some of you may have even experienced them personally as well. And it's all bonkers, all of that, and more. It's all bonkers when we observe it with human eyes and ears. But when we realize that here is a supernatural God who lavishes us with extravagant gifts for our benefit and our building up and our enjoyment and our increasing confidence in him, then if that's the case, then I don't want a non-bonkers life. I'm happy with the weird. I'm never going to fully understand it because it's God who's beyond me. Why should that be a surprise? That doesn't mean we go for anything weird. But it means we shouldn't be freaked out when we know it's God. I've been saved by a God who is beyond the natural into a life that is beyond the natural. And so with careful and wise discernment to ensure I'm going where he's going, then I'm all in. Are you? Yeah. But yes, it is also described as gobbledygook sometimes. I, 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 I get it. It can sound like that. It's just noises. I know. It's, it can sound like that. To be honest, I feel, I, I feel like that when I hear some politicians talking. <laughs> Do you know? Don't know what they're going on about. We definitely need an interpretation. I don't know what he said. But to say that about someone from another country talking in their own language, oh, they're just talking gobbledygook, that would be outright racist, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? That would be ignorant, that would be biased, that would be narrow-minded. So just because you may not understand something doesn't mean it's rubbish. It's not a reason to write it off. So let's just look at the evidence for its relevance then. Let's look at the, the evidence for its relevance now and judge it by its fruit. Is it bringing glory to God and strength to the speaker? Look at the fruit. One more thing on this. Um, there is counterfeit too, as well as with anything. The devil does love to mimic uh, and ape what God is doing in order to mock or entice people away from the truth and so on. Um, back in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, Paul says... No one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So simply always judge it by its fruit. It becomes pretty clear pretty quickly. What's the fruit? And then Paul says at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13, the famous verse, For speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. I am a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. And there it is again. What's the fruit? What is the heart of it? Are you seeking a higher level of Christian maturity? Trying to muster up some tongues or trying to be seen to be spiritual by doing it? Well, that's not what it's for. And, that's, and therefore, that means it's all about you. 
what's, the, what's at the heart of it? So just don't be a self-loving, clanging symbol. <laughs> be a God-loving song, songbird in whichever language he's given you. Just let the character of this prove itself. And let's operate in all humility and enjoy what he's given for his glory. And so, of course, therefore, this all needs to be stewarded well, it needs to be practiced well, it needs to be done well. Um, in public, as we've already experienced, we've had a tongue and, a con- and interpretation this morning. If it's brought in public, the contribution of a tongue for the benefit of the whole gathering, that can be a beautiful thing. I love hearing it. It's a beautiful thing to hear, uh, but it needs to be done well and therefore needs to be interpreted for the benefit of the hearers. It's just like, that's only nice, no idea what they said. You can't amen that, can you? Which is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, I'm going to skip a few verses, but from verse 9, he says, If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you'll be speaking into the air. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. He's talking about the speaker there. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? you may be giving thanks well enough but the other person is not being built up and then right at the end of the chapter verse 27 he says if any speak in a tongue let there be only two or three or most three in each in turn and let someone interpret but if there's no one to interpret let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God just for someone or the speaker themselves to bring an interpretation because it's been brought in a gathering that the gathering were all expected to hear they need to be able to amend that when it needs, needs an interpretation. We practice that. We aim, always aim for that. Um, but uh, it always needs to be said. It's good. Let's just continue to handle this well. Well done. <laughs> but let's keep doing it. Sometimes, something else worth mentioning, sometimes we do encourage us to lift our voices together, don't we? To say whether you want to do it in English or if you have the gift of tongues, lift, lift, lift your voice um, and speak in tongues. To pre- let's just praise him en masse, all voices together. We, we do this sometimes, don't we? Um, we need to be careful about why and when we do so. Uh, we don't want to be flippant about that. Um, there is occasion to lift our voices to an audience of one, all of us together, but to an audience of one, not listening to each other, but directing our attention uh, together solely to him on a personal level at the same time. What we do, let's lift our voices, let's, let's adore him. Whether you're doing that in your first language or in tongues, sometimes we do that. Apologies if we've never fully explained what our intent is in that and how and why we're stewarding it. But it's just, we need to be sure when we're doing that, it's for an audience of one. We're not listening to the person next to you. That's, that's the key. Um, if you're listening to someone else speaking in tongues, when we're all meant to be praying, <laughs> but why aren't you praying? But also then suddenly we're in a place where you're not being edified because you're hearing the tongue but there's no interpretation and they're not in a private moment because you're listening in. You know, if we, sometimes we'll still do it. There's a place for it, but let's all do that well together. Let's just direct our attention to him, not to what else we're hearing. If that makes sense. We just need to be careful. We may still do it, we just must, mustn't be complacent. It's a, con- it's a misunderstood gift. I hope I've cleared up enough. If you've got any questions, come and find me afterwards, of course. It's a controversial gift. I hope I've helped clear that up in the short space of time we have. One more, it's an invigorating gift. We've talked about it in public, but what about in private, for example? Um, Back in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 18, Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Has he been running around their windows listening? Is he working out, you did 57 minutes today. I don't know. But he knows. He knows he's doing it because he's doing it all the time. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. 
tongues build you up. Uh, back at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. It feeds you spiritually as you do it. The more I've been studying and pondering and preparing this, for, uh, this the more eager I've been to speak in tongues all the time, wherever I am, what I've, what, where, wherever I'm doing, um, it, it, it stirred me to do it, and doing it stirs me. Um, it's just letting my heart be glad out loud with better words than I can ever come up with on my own because he always deserves more and he's given me a means to do that. I'm going to lean into that. I'm going to do it more. And the icing on the cake is that when I do it, now over the years, it's, it has become second nature to me. Now I've been doing it, I don't know, 20 odd years, I suppose, 20, 25 years. It's second nature. I can do it straight away now. Some people, you just have to keep practicing. But as I'm doing it, my heart, my spirit just gets immediately lifted and strengthened. As a result, I feel it. I feel the joy just bubbling away the moment I start doing it. It just leaves me more joyous. It leaves me more at peace, more secure, more confident, more aware of his presence and his love and his intent. I'm more emboldened just by speaking in tongues for a bit. It's an invigorating gift. It's invigorating. It gives vigor. It empowers us for our survival, for our health, for the work ahead, and so on. But it can also not just build you up, it can build others up when, like I say, it's been interpreted as well. When we hear someone bring a tongue, like I say, it's a beautiful thing, but when it's explained in English, we can agree and we can second it and we're built up together as a body as we go, yes and amen. But it is also for people who don't know Jesus. Remember at Pentecost, they were given earthly languages so that other people we're like, what's this mean? Is it Acts chapter 2, verse 11? They said, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. What does this mean? That led to Peter preaching the gospel and 3,000 souls being saved and added to the church that day through the gift of tongues. Builds the church in more ways than you know. And so Paul says, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 22, tongues are a sign not for belief, a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, because it shows people that this is not a social club. It shows people this is centered around the living God himself at work amongst us. It makes people go, there's something going on here. Something supernatural. God is in this place. It's a sign for unbelievers, as well as it builds us up spiritually. Let me finish with a story. Because it not only does it invigorate, it brings breakthrough and release. Some of you might guess who I'm going to talk about. Jackie Pullinger, a Croydon girl, big up my homeland. She, um, she boarded a ship. This is nuts. She boarded a ship with a tenor in her pocket and a prayer that God would tell her where to get off. <laughs> Literally, that's what she did. Um, she just knew God had more for her. She got on this boat that was traveling around the world with a tenor in her pocket and God tell me when to get off. And it wasn't until it boarded to Hong Kong in 1966. That's quite a punt thinking he hasn't told me to get off yet. It reaches Hong Kong. And he said, disembark. So she got off at Hong Kong in 1966. And she ended up in the world city. It's no longer there, but it, at the time it was this crazy, awful maze of opium dens and pornographic um, uh, movie theatres and brothels and real squalor. People there, the people there were the abusers and the abused, all without hope. That was this place. So she, naturally, she began to share Jesus. This is what I'm here for. I'm going to share Jesus. And she really ministered to the addicts and so on. She kept sharing Jesus, but she found little success until one day she was baptized by the Holy Spirit. 
and a couple from China were praying with her and she received the gift of tongues. And then another couple who were visiting from America encouraged her, you now have the gift of tongues, do it for 15 minutes every day. Let me see what they said to her. So she did, by the clock, 15 minutes, on the way to work, speaking in tongues. After about six weeks, she noticed something remarkable. Those she was talking to about Jesus, they started believing. Uh, person after person then wanted to receive Jesus. There were miraculous uh, releases from opium addiction and so on. It's just crazy. You can re- read the books. It's just crazy stories. It's amazing. She thought initially that her Chinese had just suddenly improved or that she just stumbled on some new evangelistic method she wasn't aware she was doing. But then she realized that she was saying and doing the same things as before. What was different was that she stepped into a God-enabled way of praying that brought breakthrough. It's not magic. It's not some mantra. If I do this lots, then that will happen. It's not that. What it is doing is fine-tuning your heart and your instincts on what God is doing. And therefore, as you pray, something more is happening than you could do on your own. That's what's happening. This laser-targeted Jackie's prayers on what was happening in the spiritual realm. And he did something in her and he did something around her. And so it's disturbing to keep doing similar. Countless people around us are missing out on knowing their maker, aren't they? Who is eternally good and who wants them to come home. And I want to play my part in that. But we need all the help we can get to do so. We need all the help we can get. And the gift of tongues, rather than some wacky thing we don't talk about or we ignore, it's a heavenly gift that helps us. So let's hold it in high regard. This gift, when it's not neglected and is handled well, it invigorates, it builds confidence, it shores up our spirits, it gives us laser focus to our prayers and our praise. It's heaven-rooted prayer that brings release in the heavenlies. It enables us to applaud our king out loud in a supernatural way that is beyond our human limitations, but it also it just it brings breakthrough in the spiritual realm and it beckons his kingdom come and helps that unfold through us and around us. So I'm going to cherish it, I'm going to nurture it. How about you? Something to lean into. Let me just pray. It'd be good just to give some space for praise, seeking Holy Spirit, and to see what he wants to do amongst us. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we speak to you and we just say thank you. That you dwell in us. You are among us. You're at work in us and you want to be more at work in us. Help us to not get in the way of that. We thank you for what you do in us in terms of character change. We thank you for the gifts you've given us to seek more of you and to seek more of your will on earth. Help us, we pray. Not just the gift of tongues, but the gifts. Help us to lean into them, not for the sake of looking good, but the sake of bringing glory to our amazing King. You're the one this is all about, not us. But we give ourselves up to you and we say, Holy Spirit, will you come? Will you have, our way, have your way amongst us? Help us to extol our King Jesus in whichever language you've given us. To practice it and to steward it well. And to seek you first and your kingdom come. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bob and Pete, over to you.